Well, hello, everybody. Welcome to those who are joining us watching online. Thank you for catching us as we are in the middle of a series. We're preaching through First and Second Thessalonians. First and Second Thessalonians, and I'm going to jump right into First Thessalonians chapter four today. We're going to be looking at the first eight verses of First Thessalonians chapter four. Let's go ahead and read. As for other matters, Paul said, brothers and sisters. We instructed you how to live in order to please God. Now, let me just remind you of what's going on here. The Apostle Paul planted this church in Thessalonica in just a few weeks. And so we've got a bunch of new young believers in the Lord, zealous for the things of God, no mature spiritual leadership. And all of a sudden, some jealous folks got up and they kicked Paul out of town. And so for fear of his life, he, he runs out of town. He ends up in Athens. And while he's in Athens, he can't get his mind off these young believers. He knows that they don't have the mature leadership to help them spiritually. He's concerned that they're going to grow in their faith, that they're not going to be um, thwarted. He doesn't want them. He knows persecution's happening. He doesn't want them to give up. He doesn't want them to turn back to idols. And so his heart is for these young believers, and so what he does, and we talked about this last week, is he sends his very best friend, his, his protege, his number two guy, Timothy, his son in the faith, from Athens to Thessalonica to check on him. And Timothy goes and he greets the brothers and sisters there in Thessalonica, and he gets a glowing report. He brings the report back to Paul and said, these folks, they are doing wonderfully. Their faith is growing. Their love is abounding. They're doing so well. And Paul is overjoyed. And because he wants them to be safe in the faith, secure in the faith, growing in the faith more and more, he sits down and he writes this letter, 1 Thessalonians, the very first letter or epistle that he ever wrote. And so he writes to the church in Thessalonica, helping them take their next steps in faith. They're just new believers now. And he wants them to be firmly grounded and rooted in their faith, growing, abounding in love, abounding in hope. And so he writes this letter to him, and he's instructing them in verse chapter four, rather, how to live in order to please God. And he says, as in fact, you're living. And now we ask you and we urge you in the Lord Jesus to do this more and more. For you know what instructions we gave you, and this is important to note now, especially as we get into the context of today's message. You're going to need to know this. What instructions we gave you by the authority of the Lord Jesus? Is Paul expressing his opinion here? Is it Paul's authority or is he, is he relaying to this young church God's will, God's authority? These are God's words that he's writing. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for the church. And so he's writing to believers He's writing under the authority and inspiration of the Holy Spirit to help them abound more and more in their faith, to keep them rooted and grounded. And so this is not his opinion. And the reason I say this as we get into this and emphasize this is because today's message is going to step on a few toes. This is part of why I love preaching kind of verse by verse through the Bible. Because in my natural mind, I like people to like me. Am I alone in that? And I know every time we hit a topic like this, here's what happens. People disagree. People get up in arms. People leave the church. It happens all the time. 
But you know what my job is as a pastor? Is to faithfully give you a balanced diet of the word of God. And as we go through verse by verse in different books like this, it forces me to address the text that I would not normally want to address because I know it's going to make you mad. And some of you are going to get mad. But here's what you need to hear. This is not my opinion. This is not my authority. This is God's authority. This is God's word. This is God's will. And if you have a problem with it, you have a problem with God. That is the honest truth. You have a problem with God. So in these verses, he's calling to the Thessalonians as new believers to take these next steps to keep them grounded in their faith. And so as we look and emphasize verses 3 to 8 today, what we're going to see is this, that this is a plea, a call, an urgent message that Paul has for the church. And it is a plea for sexual purity, a plea for sexual purity. And I'll keep this PG because I know there are a few kids scattered around here today. But know this, when we talk about sexual purity, this is foremost on the Apostle Paul's mind when he writes his instructions, the book of Corinthians and Galatians and Ephesians, and he lists out these sins that should not be named among the church. In Paul's list, sexual immorality is always at the top of the list. It comes from the Greek word porneia, which means that's where we get our word, rather, pornography. And sexual immorality has always been one of the biggest sins among God's people. It's true, isn't it? If you've reached puberty, all of us have sinned in this area. And so I'm not up here saying, oh, look at me, I am so perfect. That would not be the truth. In fact, when we look at the Ten Commandments and that, that commandment, thou shalt not commit adultery, don't have sex with anyone other than your spouse, Jesus breaks it down in the Sermon on the Mount and gives the heart of that message. He said, really, here's what that means. He always get, brings, Jesus always brings it back to the heart. He said, the heart of that commandment, thou shalt not commit adultery, is this. If you look at someone and lust after them in your heart, you've already committed adultery in your heart. Well, goodness gracious. Who hasn't done that? Thousands of times over your lifetime. So I'm not up here standing, oh, look at me, I'm all righteous, I've done this perfect, oh, give me a break. When I was a teenager, oh man, I repented like a thousand times a day, every eight seconds. And now what I've learned is it doesn't leave you as you get older. Still got eyes, don't I? Still have desires, I mean, it's part of being human. You know, we're never going to not need oxygen. We're never not going to need food, and we're never not going to have sexual desire. God put it in us, but God very much wants us to live out our lives in such a way where we please God, and that's the urgent message for the church. This is their next step. They're doing well in their faith. They're growing in their faith, but they got to get it here. They got to get it right here, and so again, this is not Paul's opinion. This is just not a church opinion or a pastor's opinion. This is the word of God. And if you have a problem with it, I reiterate, you have a problem with God. Here's what he says. It's God's will, verse 3, that you should be sanctified and that you should avoid sexual immorality. That's kind of like the hinge point. This, This is the key verse. 
What's God's will? Sanctification. We're going to explain that. And that you should avoid sexual immorality. Avoid it. It's kind of like Maine in the spring. Going down the road. How many know there's this things all over the roads called potholes? And hasn't it been a bad one this year? I ruined the front end in my car by hitting potholes. How do I know that? I just went to get it inspected. It did not pass inspection. They said, you've got to fix your front end. And you know where the potholes were? In my driveway. (laughs) They're everywhere. And so what do we do? If you have some intelligence here, you see a pothole, we steer, we clear of it. We avoid it. And he's telling the church, listen, at all costs, avoid this one. It's God's will that you be sanctified. It's God's will that you avoid the pothole of sexual immorality. That each of you should learn to control your own body in a way that is holy and honorable. Each one of us should learn this. Not in passionate lust like the pagans who don't know God. And in this matter, no one should wrong or take advantage of a brother or a sister. The Lord will punish all those who commit such sins as we told you and we warned you before. For God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. Therefore, anyone who rejects this instruction does not reject a human being, but God, the very God who gives you his Holy Spirit. This plea for purity overshadows everything else in this section of chapter 4. And as we examine these verses, I would like to answer three questions for you today. Three questions from the Word of God. Number one... What is the purity command? What is God's will here? Number two, how can I obey this command? And number three, why should I obey this command? I'll give you a little bit of background here. These new Christians in Thessalonica had been saved out of a perverse and godless lifestyle. The predominating, 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 idolatry of the day was sexual immorality. And part of how they worshiped their, their pagan gods was they would go into the temple and they would sleep with, have sex with temple prostitutes. That's how they worshiped their false gods. And there was no shame associated with sexual sin. No shame. They didn't feel guilty about it. This is just the normal way of living. Sounds a lot like the direction our culture is headed. These new Christians have come out of a very acceptable form of immorality, and there's no public shame. And so Paul needs to deal with the issue, but he needs to deal with it on God's terms so they don't say to him, well, that's just your opinion, or that's just how you see it. No, Paul, writing to the church, says, no, this is how God sees it. This is God's will. And so let's jump right in. What is the purity command? We see it in verse 3. 1 Thessalonians 4, 3. It is God's will, not man's will, not the church's will, not the pastor's will, although our will lines up with his, so it is in that sense, but this is God's will, that you should be sanctified. What does that mean? Sanctified means separated. It means set apart from this kind of sin, this, this set apart from sexual immorality. And when we say no to sexual immorality, what happens is we look like a ham sandwich at a Jewish picnic. I ain't touching that. People think you're weird. You're out of place. 
What's wrong with eating a ham sandwich? It's normal. Have a ham sandwich. Commit sexual immorality. It's just normal. And if you don't do it, you're, you're not normal. You're weird. But that's what God has called us to be, weird in a good sense. Different, separated, set apart. We live differently. We were once in darkness, but we've been called out of darkness into marvelous light. We look different. We act different. We believe different. We're sanctified. We're holy. We're set apart unto God. And here is what it looks like, and he's emphasizing this in these next verses, that you should avoid sexual immorality. Is it possible for Christians to commit sins of immorality? Oh, yeah. Right? (laughs) Is it possible to lust in your heart, to sleep with someone who's not your spouse, to view pornography? Of course, we do it all the time. And so here's what we can do. When we're honest with ourselves before God, we can either we can justify our actions in our thoughts or we can own it and be honest before God, look at the his holy word which is the mirror and say, "God, I see the mirror. I see your word. I see your will and I'm not there." And so I repent. What does that mean? I turn from that and I turn to you, God. I acknowledge my sin. And I confess it, and I ask for your mercy and your forgiveness. And in Christ, we find it. Now, (laughs) this is so important, you understand this. Because we all stumble in many ways, James says, all the time. In word, in thought, in deed. And so we need to learn to repent. It's the goodness of God that leads us to repentance. Repentance is, if you confess your sin, God is faithful and just. He'll forgive you and cleanse you. We've got to confess it, though, and here's where we get into an issue. We think we know more than God. Well, that's your interpretation of the Bible. Now, this is clear. This is plain. I'm going to make it so plain for you that you will understand the purity command. And if you don't agree with it, you've got an issue with God. But at least you're going to hear it, the truth. Amen. Amen. Let's jump right in here and look at this. That There are many, many scriptures that talk about the dangers of sexual immorality and throws a lot of the sins in there. The Apostle Paul said this, there's two sins that should never be named among the church. One is sexual immorality and the second is greed. But where do we struggle with the most? Sexual immorality and greed. We do. And again, this is not me, all self-righteous. No, I struggle with the same things you do. But here's the good news. That God gives grace. Where sin abounds, grace does much more abound. And there is grace to be had to the humble. God gives grace to the humble. But to the proud of heart, those who say, mock God or his ways, and you'll reap the reward of that thing. You don't want that. So remember this. Paul is talking to believers here. It doesn't do any good to say to non-believers, be abstinent. Oh, you can say it till you're blue in the face, but they don't have the will nor the ability most of the time on their own to do it. Paul is talking to believers. It doesn't do any good to, un- to command rather unbelievers to act in a fashion that's impossible for them to do in their own strength. I mean, we struggle with it, and we have the Holy Spirit. Now, he's talking to believers. 
He's talking to these new believers in the faith, telling them to more and more, urging them, calling them to this life of sanctification and holiness and to avoid sexual immorality. So you say, well, I thought fornicators and adulterers and homosexuals and people that, like that, they can't enter the kingdom of heaven if they persist in that lifestyle. And if you believe that, you're correct. Let me show you, the Bible says out of the mouth of two or three witnesses, let every word be established. Let me show you four. Number one, 1 Corinthians 6, 9, and 10. Do you, don't you realize, don't you realize that those who do wrong will not inherit the kingdom of God? Don't fool yourselves. Those who indulge in sexual sin or who worship idols or commit adultery or are male prostitutes or practice homosexuality or are thieves or greedy people or drunkards or abusive or cheat people, none of these will inherit the kingdom of God. Sobering, isn't it? Don't fool yourself. Don't be deceived. The scripture is clear. Those who live a lifestyle like this, all these sins are mentioned, will not inherit the kingdom of God. Second, secondly, Galatians 5, 19 and 21. These are not all. I could find a lot more. These are just a few. When you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. Well, that's your opinion. Or that's kind of gray. No, it's clear. Sexual immorality, again, the top of Paul's list every time. Impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. Let me tell you again, as I have before, that anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. You see, people, you read the word to them, show them God's word, his will in this, and they think, oh, you're intolerant, you're hateful, you're mean. And actually, the exact opposite is true. If we present the truth of God's word in a loving and kind and respectful manner, it is the most loving thing you can do for a person. It is not loving to let someone persist and be deceived and stay in their sin and end up in hell. That is the most unloving thing you can do. The most loving thing you can do is stand for God's word and communicate it in a loving and a respectful way because you do care about people. Revelation 21.8 says this, but cowards, unbelievers, the corrupt, murderers, the immoral, that's sexually immoral, those who practice witchcraft, idol worshipers, and all liars, their fate... So this is the ultimate, ultimately where they're going, is the fiery lake of burning sulfur, which is the second death. It's not obscure. It's not unclear. It's very clear from God's word. The very last chapter of the Bible talks about it as well. Revelation twenty-two fifteen. Outside the city. What's the city? It's the new Jerusalem. It's the capital city in the new heavens and the new earth of heaven. Outside of, the, of heaven, of the new Jerusalem, are the dogs, not referring to furry creatures. That's a way, kind of a, a way to say that these are the, the Gentiles. These are the unbelieving. Outside of heaven are the sorcerers, the sexually immoral, the murderers, the idol worshipers, and all who love to live a lie. What's he saying? That these people will not go to heaven. And this is God's word. And the most loving thing we can do is tell people the truth in a respectful way. Grace and truth. Jesus was full of grace and truth. In hopes 
that God would get a hold of their heart, that their conscience would be pricked, and they would turn and ask for God's mercy. What is the purity command? Here it is, plain and simple. Apart from marriage, total abstinence is God's will, period. It's just that simple. And again, it doesn't do any good to tell an unbeliever that. They may, they may not. But the people of God, total abstinence apart from God, uh, apart from marriage, rather, is God's will. That is the purity command. Be sanctified, be set apart. Avoid sexual immorality. One of my favorite ways to say this is this. If you are married and you are not having sex, you need to start. And if you're not married and you're having sex, you need to stop. Pretty basic. That is the purity command, and that answers the what question. Well, that's what be sanctified, and this is what it looks like. Now, the next immediate question that comes to mind is the how. Well, how in the world can you do that in 2019 in America? Have you seen what goes on in Hollywood, in our movies? Have you seen or listened to our music? If you watch television, do you have the internet? I mean, it's impossible. What about all my past recycling memories of all my sexual sins in the past or what I'm struggling with present? How in the world can you implement this? It seems impossible. But it's not. God would not ask us to do something impossible. We'll look at verses four to six. This is where he answers the how question. What is the purity principle? That we be set apart, that we have sex only in the context of our marriage with our spouse. That's it. And secondly, how can I obey that command? Each of you, verse four, each of you should learn to control your own body. How many know this is something we have to learn? When you give your life to Christ, what happens is you get a new heart that becomes alive unto God. Old things pass away. Behold, all things become new. Your sins are forgiven. But how many know you still got the same pair of eyes? You still got the same mind that has to be renewed. You still have the same desires that God put in there. How many know you're always going to desire oxygen? You're always going to desire food. There's always going to be a sexual desire. That's the way God made us. He knows that. It's his plan. It was his design. He made our bodies. He made our desires. But they must be sanctified. They must be set apart unto him. We must live holy lives. This is how we live to please God. And so how do we do that? We need to learn to do it. We need to learn to control our body in a way that is holy and honorable. And here's something you need to know. That your mind is your mind and your body is your body and you're in control. What do I mean by that? I mean, you can't stop a thought from coming to your head. Is that true? I, re- I refuse to think about hot blueberry pie a la mode right now with steam coming out the sides and big juicy blueberries and the a la mode just kind of the ice cream dripping down in the crust, you know. Don't think about that. Don't think about your favorite food. Don't think about chocolate chip cookies baking in the oven and the cold glass of milk. What's your point? My point is this. You can't stop a thought from coming to your head. It's not a sin to have a thought. You can't stop thoughts from coming. 
Those aren't in your control. What's in your control? When it comes, now it's in your control. You can take the thought and you can meditate on it or you can kick it out. But your mind is your mind. Martin Luther said this. He said, you can't stop a bird from flying over your head. You can't stop a thought from coming to your mind. That's not a sin. But when you can stop it is from the thought or the bird from landing on your head and making a nest in your hair. And once you have a thought, you can take it and bring it under captivity, the obedience of Christ, or you can meditate on it. And that's where we get into sin. You notice somebody. That's not a sin. Until you take the second look and then begin to play it in your mind. That's where we enter into sin. When we're drawn away by our own lusts and enticed. But your mind is your mind. And we need to learn to control our mind. The mind controlled by the spirit, Paul said in Romans, is life and peace. When we learn to control our minds and bring it into obedience to Christ, it brings peace. But if we allow our fleshly desires to be in the driver's seat, we're in trouble. We're not to live like the pagans, not in passionate lust like the pagans. Here's a, here's a way to look at it. If you can imagine driving a car, the person driving the car has the ability to turn that car wherever you want to go. And if we allow our lusts, our feelings, our emotions, our passions, our carnal desires, rather, to be in the driver's seat, it's going to lead you to danger every time. So what should be in the driver's seat of our life if we're a believer in Jesus? It needs to be our beliefs and our convictions. You let conviction drive your life, not feelings, not opinions. You let the word of God and what you believe be in control. And it's something that has to be learned. But the good news is God gives us the Holy Spirit, who, and we're sealed with the Spirit on the inside, and he helps us grow in the fruit of the Spirit, which is love and joy and peace. And self-control is one of those things. We learn self-control. That's why fasting is so important. And we, a couple times a year, we'll come to you and say, we're going to call a fast, especially in January, where we want you to set aside something that you want for the purpose of seeking the Lord and learning to control your fleshly desires. And, and it works. We learn to get control. We're not to be controlled by food or by drink or by drugs or by sex or by money. What are we being controlled by? The leadings of the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Christ in us. And we need to learn this. How can I obey the command? We learn to control our body. Not in passionate lust like the pagans who don't know God. And in that matter, no one should wrong or take advantage of a brother or sister. Think about it. When we use somebody for our own sexual gratification, we are taking advantage of that person. We are plundering their purity for our personal power. Don't do that. Why would you do that? Let me just say this to you, ladies. You may have some guy come to you and he's all lovey-dovey and says how much he loves you and gives you gifts and tells you you're beautiful. And really what he's trying to do, he might love you, and, but he really loves him more probably if he's going to use you for his own advantage. We need to love God more than exploiting somebody else for our own personal gain. Romans 6.12 says this, don't let sin control the way you live. Do not give in to sinful desires. 
Again, it's in your control. Galatians 5.16. So I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. When I was young, I used to ask this question to myself a lot. How far can I go and not cross the line? And I thought about it all the time, just being honest. How far can I, how close to the edge can I get? I mean, that's the exact wrong question we should be asking ourselves. The right question is, how can I honor God with my body? How can I honor God with my body? I am the temple of the Holy Spirit. I belong to God. What I'm thinking right now, what I'm doing right now, is this wisdom? Is this God honoring or is it selfish gain? Am I plundering someone else's purity for my own personal gain? It's a fair question. Part of how you can maintain this as we learn to control our body is this. It's just simply using wisdom. Using wisdom. I preached a series a few years ago called Guardrails. Really gave me a picture of what that looks like. What do you have for guardrails in your life? Because we're all tempted to kind of get off the road. You know, you're up in Acadia and you're going around the, the park loop there and you come to places where it's pretty steep but they've got these big granite blocks there. Why? So you don't fall off the edge. And we all need guardrails in our life to keep us from falling off the edge. I've got a few guardrails in my life, and I hope you do in yours as well. Let me give you a couple guardrails. And these are things that we need to learn to do, but where are you weak? Where are you tempted? Maybe some of you guys are, and gals too are tempted to watch porn on your phone or on your computer. Maybe that's got control of your life and you feel this, you know, this, you know, flesh likes it, but you know in your heart it's not right. And what are some guardrails you could put in your life to help you avoid that? Well, one, if you have a problem on your phone or your computer, you can get Covenant Eyes or Triple X or there are all these different, um, what do you call these things? (laughs) Apps. Yeah, I can't remember. I just lost the word. But anyway, what they do is they'll send, it's, it's for accountability, and if you cross the line or view a site you shouldn't, it'll send an email report to your accountability partner, which in my case is my wife. What's this? Uh, I was looking at the news. <laughs> Did you click something you shouldn't have? Uh, yep. You do that a few times, I tell you, you'll think twice. Get these filters on your system and send a report to somebody if you're struggling with porn. Or if you know it's, you know it's at night, everyone's in bed, I'm tired, so I turn on the TV and I watch some movies I shouldn't. Well, just change that habit. What am I saying? Set guardrails in your life. If you're attracted to somebody who's not your spouse, or if you're in a sexual relationship with somebody and you know you shouldn't be, and you, it happens when you go watch movies and eat pizza, and you just avoid that. Just, you know what? We're going to have a new pattern here. If it's someone that you're feeling attracted to on Facebook, they reached out to an old flame or somebody that you kind of feel a little spark with, just don't friend them. Unfriend them today. What am I saying? That's me. No, it's smart. Guardrails. Learn to control your impulses and your desires. We all have them. Control them. Be sanctified. Don't listen and feed yourself on worldly opinions and beliefs 
about sexuality and it, that kind of feeds that desire in you and you wonder why you're struggling. Be wise, be smarter than the average bear. Be sanctified. Amen? Amen. These are things we can all relate to. One of the things our, our pastoral staff, we don't meet with a member of the opposite sex alone. If we do, there's someone in the room right there with an open door. We don't go to coffee or have lunch with someone. We still work, reach out to them, but we're not going to be alone with them. Why? You know, succumb to that. How many pastors, leaders, coworkers do you know? Family members that committed adultery or got sucked in emotionally in a relationship they shouldn't have been. What happened? No guardrails. Be smart. Be smart. Be smarter than your flesh. All of us are capable of doing about anything stupid given the right situation. So we need to learn to control ourselves. We need to use wisdom. We need to not take advantage of others for our own personal gain. I get an amen. amen. Don't get depressed. There's hope. Amen? amen. It's not going to do any good on Judgment Day. God, you know, yeah, I might have had a lot of sexual problems, but guess what? I lived in America in 2019. Everybody was struggling. And I'm not going to cut it. No. It's God's will that we should be sanctified. It's God's will that we should avoid sexual immorality. What is the purity principle? Abstinence, purity. In the marriage bed, the marriage bed is undefiled. So have fun. That's what it's meant for. But outside of the marriage bed, cold turkey, baby. And I'm telling you, God will bless it. You know, I don't know if I should say this since we're online, but I, I think I need to. One of the things that keeps marriage healthy is an, a good intimate, a good sex life. And if you're married and sex is like, wicked, infrequent, boring. You need to, yeah, here's what I honestly would do. I'd go on your knees and ask God to rekindle that thing. It's like riding a bike. You can get it back. But you need to be intimate. If you're married, you need to enjoy it. You need to bring God into it. He blesses it. I think one of the things that I'm grateful for, guess what? My 30-year anniversary tomorrow. Isn't that awesome? And thankfully, one of the things that's been the biggest blessing in our life is our intimacy, and I won't get too into it, but, you know, if they say the national average is twice a week, we're far above the national average. (laughs) The point is this, you know, be blessed. All right, I'll move on. Let me give you the last year. Why should I obey this command? Why should I obey this command? I'm going to give you three reasons. Let me just read the, the final couple verses in the text here. The Lord will punish all those who commit such sins. As we told you and we warned you before, it's judgment. God is going to punish those who do this. For God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. That's the purpose there. Therefore, anyone who rejects this instruction, this is where I was going in the beginning, does not reject a human being. You're rejecting God, the very God who gives you his Holy Spirit. You just hear somebody saying, well, I don't need to obey this. It's old-fashioned. It's archaic. It's not up to code. 
not up to speed with culture. Listen, these three compelling reasons alone are enough to make you want to obey it. The first, to me, is the biggest one. It's God's punishment. The Lord will punish all those who commit such sins as we told you and we warned you before. The Lord is the avenger in all things. The Lord told us throughout the scripture, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. It's divine retribution. It's punishment. God punishes those that do this. Now, those of us that are parents, we know how important it is to discipline our children. If you love your children, you'll be careful to discipline, the Bible says. Why? To teach them, to help them. Because we don't want them to persist in a, in a lifestyle that's going to ultimately destroy and ruin their life. So they have to learn. And punishment is a way to teach. Sometimes positive reinforcement works, but oftentimes, no, it's just, you're going to punish them. And God cares about you. He wants you to be with him in heaven. He doesn't want you to go down, harden your heart to these things and, and one day end up in hell. He wants you to be with him. He loves you. He cares about you. And so he's careful to discipline us and to punish us. In Hebrews 13, 4, it says, let marriage be honorable, keep it pure, keep that marriage bed undefiled for fornicators and adulterers God will judge. And what kind of judgment is that? Well, I suppose we'll never be able to know in every case. He has a lot of ways to judge at his disposal. He's God, I'm not. But I've seen it time and time again where God judges. Broken, failed marriages, children, wayward children, STDs, financial challenges. There's so many ways. God will punish all who do this. Look at King David. And I'll give you a little glimpse of hope here. But King David committed adultery with someone else's wife, got her pregnant, tried to cover it, had her husband killed. I mean, that's some pretty bad stuff. Didn't repent until he was caught. Nathan the prophet came. But he did finally own it, didn't he? Psalm 51. He owned it. He repented. God forgave it. Nonetheless, there were still some natural consequences for the results of his sin in his life. His son raped his daughter. And then his other son, the brother of the daughter, killed the brother that raped her. And then he ran him out of town. And he had all kinds of family issues, natural things as a result and consequence of his sin. Did God forgive him? Absolutely. It's David in heaven. Absolutely. But did he sin and pay in this life for some of those sins? Yeah. I know sometimes we want God to just deliver us from all things, but you know what? You got an STD from that, and thank God for medicine, and hopefully you're going to be okay, but God might not heal you. So, I don't know. You might have to suffer with it the rest of your life. You might have to keep fighting that guilt from what you did and how you betrayed your spouse or your family member. Did God forgive it? Yeah, Absolutely. But you might have to still work through those emotions and those feelings. It's normal. We move on. God's purpose. Second reason, not only because of God's punishment, because of God's purpose. He said in verse 7, God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. God saved us to be pure and holy and set apart unto him, not to remain in darkness. The very nature of God's calling is that he called us out of sin into righteousness. 
And he justified us and he sanctified us. And that's a calling to holy purity. He's called us to holiness. He's called us to purity. He's called us to sinless life. And sexual sin is absolutely inconsistent with this new creation that we are in Christ. And so we obey God because of punishment. He will judge all who sin this way. And we begin, uh, obey him rather because of his purpose. And finally, we obey him because of his spirit. And here's what he said. And this is the final reason here to obey. Therefore, anyone who rejects this instruction does not reject a human being. You're not rejecting your pastor. You're not rejecting the church. You're not rejecting a religious system. What are you literally rejecting? God Almighty. And you can't box God. Your arms are too short. You're rejecting God. The very God who gives you his Holy Spirit. You may say, well, I don't like this. This is crowding me out, taking my, stealing my fun. I don't want to have to deal with it. Again, he's talking to believers. Now, if you're not a believer, you don't get this. I understand that. But if you're a follower of Jesus, you do. Let me, let me close with a prayer. This is a scripted prayer. And I, listen, I know living with sexual purity is a, is a challenge. But in the end, it's our own heart. And whether or not the word of God dwells in us richly, that's going to make the difference in your sexual purity. It's your belief. And if you're truly a follower of Jesus, if you truly believe the word of God, it comes down to the heart. Are you going to live in a way that pleases God? Or are you going to embrace the doctrine of demons, what the world has been saying pagans have been doing for centuries? God's called you to be separate. He's called you to be sanctified. He's called you to be holy. He wants to bless your life. He wants to bless your body. He wants to bless your marriage. But he'll judge us if we mock his word. Let me pray for you. Dear Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for these that have come today. And I know, Lord, that as we turn to this portion of Scripture, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, these first eight verses, it's not a light message. It deals with where we live, Lord, and I thank you that you are gracious, and I thank you, Lord, that you've called us to live this pure and holy life before you. Lord, the issue is our own hearts. May we guard our hearts, for you said in your word that out of it flow all the issues of life. May we have the driving passion to fulfill your will, which is for our sanctification and for our holiness. Lord, make your will our will. And as we mature in the knowledge of Christ, and as we grow stronger in your grace, may we become more and more fixed on wanting what you want until our evil desires are overcome by the weight of the longing for holy things. Lord, we all need forgiveness for our failures, for our sins for our impurities. And we know that this has been granted to us in Christ Jesus in his work on the cross where you laid our guilt and our sins on him. Thank you for that truth. I thank you that Christ has truly come to save us from our sins. And that includes our sexual immorality. 
And so, Lord, I pray for each one of us that Christ would be formed in us and that the desires that you have for us to be a sanctified, holy people, to avoid sexual immorality, let that become a reality in all of our lives. In Jesus' name. Friend, if you're here today and you've not called on Jesus, you've never taken that first step and said, Jesus, I acknowledge my sin before you. I acknowledge I've broken your commandments. I'm guilty before you. But I do believe in Jesus. I believe he died on the cross for my sins. I believe he rose from the dead. And I want to live for you, God. If that's you, then I want to lead you in a simple prayer. It's one of those memorial things. We're in a season where people are graduating. and It's one of those big days, that graduation day. This is a memorial in your life where you say, from now on, God, with your help, I'm going to serve you. I'm going to follow you. I put my trust in you. If that's you, I want to pray with you right now. Let's pray together. Dear God in heaven, I thank you for Jesus. I believe he died on the cross to pay for my sins. And I believe he rose from the dead. Lord Jesus, come into my life. Wash me clean from my guilt from my shame and from my sins. Put your spirit inside of me and help me to live for you. I thank you for hearing my prayer now. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Amen. Well, Pastor Jay is coming to close us out.